One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready. Well, pre- well, prepping for the show... We learned about the sad death of Sir Frank Williams, a true F1 legend. I've been watching F1 since the mid-80s, and that team was always at the centre of all my F1 enjoyment. It was at the centre of my F1 hopes and dreams and passions, and all of that was funnelled through support of Williams. They were the team that made me love Formula One. They provided the chariot for my first hero, Nigel Mansell, for those of you who can remember back that far and I was even a Ricardo Patrese fan in like year six and seven at school just because he drove a Williams I I screamed at the TV as the number zero car of Damon Hill was robbed by Michael Schumacher and then whooped with joy along with my dad as he collected the championship in the Williams just two years later and uh, drivers I would have had no interest in otherwise became favorites in our household Montoya, Villeneuve, just because they drove a Williams F1 car. That team has been racing since before I was born, and I've never known an F1 without them. I think this year they're driving the, if my research is correct, the FW43B, and the first Williams to race an F1, I believe, was the FW06, and each chassis is FW something, and that is, of course, named after Frank Williams. The Williams team released this statement earlier. It is with great sadness that on behalf of the Williams family, the team can confirm the death of Sir Frank Williams, CBE, founder and former team principal of Williams Racing at the age of 79. After being admitted to hospital on Friday, Sir Frank passed away peacefully this morning, surrounded by his family. Today, we pray tribute to our much-loved and inspirational figurehead. Frank will be sorely missed. We request at this time... Friends and colleagues respect the Williams family's wishes for privacy at this time. For those wishing to pay tribute, we ask that all that donations are made in place of gifts to the Spinal Injuries Association. And we will put a link in the, the show notes if you want to respect those wishes. Uh, now, it is harder to think of a more romantic genesis for an F1 team or a team's beginnings that, that sum up the spirit of F1 
especially that garagista privateer spirit than Williams. And whilst I'm sure there's going to be an outpouring of, of grief and tributes coming in, I hope as well that we can enjoy and look back on a life that we were lucky to have as Formula One fans. Now, as we go into the news, Frank Williams and Williams will be our first topic, but let me introduce you to our panel for the for the day. It's the most international panel we've ever had on this Apex podcast. We have four of us sitting on four different continents around the world. Hashtag one world. Uh, of course, the first of those in America land is Matt Two Rumpets. Good afternoon, Matt. Hello there, Spanners. Uh, good to be here. And, and kind of strange, I got to say, um, not just because of the Frank Williams news, but just because there's been so many races and so little news shows. I know. And because they've been back to back, back to back, back to back, uh, we haven't really had time to breathe in between them. During the last triple header, we had pickup shows where we were like picking up the news. This time with these triple headers, I've just been like almost n- not exhausted with F1, but I've had my fill of F1. I feel like We've got all the detail out in the race reviews. Uh, so, yeah, we've not done the extra shows, but Joe Saywood is popping into the shed on Tuesday. Excellent. Looking forward to that. And let's let's move around. Let's go south of you a little bit, because joining us from Brazil in South America is our editor-in-chief of our written work. It's Flip Jacobson. Hello, Flip. Hello. Hello, Matt. Hello, Spanners. Now, which city are you in? I struggled with it earlier, so I'm just going to let you say it. Ribeirão Preto. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad you said that. Uh, you've been writing with us uh, all year, doing uh, race reports, and uh, and your team has settled in nicely. I think you found a, a groove. Hopefully, you're all enjoying writing for Mr. Apex still. Yes, we are having a blast. Really, um, we're just a little bit tired. So this weekend, you know, being off is mm. pretty good. Yeah, I think everyone could do with a <laughs> a deep breath. Yeah, I had my yeah, friend actually exactly. message me. He panicked. He went. Spanners, have I, have I missed a race? Have I missed a race? He was so used to there being a race that suddenly he, he got to midway through his Sunday and was like, where, where are the F1 cars? And panicked. Yeah. So I told him it was good and he, he missed out. Okay, so that's three continents covered. Uh, let's go over to Asia where we can welcome Chester from Beijing. Hey, Chester. Hey, how's it going, man? Uh, it's good. Um, pleased to be here. Uh, pleased to have you here, sorry. Um, I just want people not to think that there was the signing of a Chinese driver. Therefore, we just went and grabbed a, a Chinese F1 fan. We, we have been talking for the last few months. And in fact, you did appear on the patron-only podcast as well. Yep. Thanks for having me. Okay. Really glad to be on the show. Brilliant. And don't worry, topic two is going to be Joe. Because, yep. well, I mean, you're here. And uh, we'd yeah. love to get your insight. And I'd uh, love to see how that bubbling F1 Chinese fan base is going to awaken and what it's going to do to the world of F1. All right, guys, uh, that's your panel. There you go. It's Chester, Flip, Matt, and me. I'm here too. Let's go on to the news then. I think we will uh, start by talking about Frank Williams. Flip, obviously legend gets banded about a, a lot. But when you talk about like the genesis of modern F1, his relationship with Bernie Ecclestone, the fact that he was not from money and that he was constantly scrambling to get cash for the next race for the next race the story of the williams uh, genesis is just it's it, it almost encapsulates f1 yes um i think i do agree with you that legend gets thrown around a little bit too easy these days but um i think williams is definitely one uh i'm not sure f1 would 
you know, be what it is without Frank Williams. Um, and he is the last of the garagistas. So, you know, he's the literal end of an era. Yeah. And so. I don't think that's hyperbole, is it, to say, to say like he had such a massive impact on, on Formula One and that team. Especially, uh, you're a lot, lot older than me. But for me, growing up, like it, it was Williams. You know, everything was about Williams. Yes, um, I, you know, I obviously started a little bit earlier than you, but um, eighty six yeah. and eighty seven were just, you know, PK and Nigel dueling. Yeah. In that Williams was just um, probably the the two years I enjoyed F one the most. Um, so. You know, it's it's hard to imagine F1 without Williams. Yeah, and uh, I, I suppose, Matt, for you coming into to Formula One more like in the 2000s, by, by that time, it's almost like the start of the, the decline of the absolute out-and-out out greatness. So you you perhaps missed, I don't know, you would have probably caught Monto- Montoya, was it? Yeah, yeah, I did do a bit of watching in the in the late 90s in the Hakkinen-Schumacher battle era. Uh, mostly because it was on around the same time as the Tour de France was on, and that was when I was racing bikes. So it was my first chance to view it live. So I did catch some back then. But obviously, you know, being a fan of the technical side of the sport as well, I can't neglect people like Nui, Patrick Head, and the massive influence they've had on the technical progression of the whole sport. And never mind Williams Advanced Engineering. This is actually one of my favorite things, although it's now been spun off. They invented a Kurs unit that's used on almost all modern buses yeah. to save massive amounts of fuel and indeed advanced refrigeration using their knowledge of aerodynamics that keeps uh keeps the energy bills down in supermarkets and your produce and meats cold like they should be. And I I think I might be wrong here, but when you see a bus and it gets to the top of the hill but it automatically doesn't roll back, I think that flywheel was also designed by Williams Engineering, quite yeah, quite that's what it was. It was a Curs, a kinetic energy recovery system that mm. that came about. It was two thousand eight, two thousand nine. They originally designed for it and uh, wound up being huge for them. Actually, well, I think uh, Philip, this says something, you know, about the 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 soul of F one and where it's going and where it's come from. So, you guys, you new fans from the Drive to Survive type era if you like you know obviously welcome i'm not gatekeeping formula one fandom here but for you guys williams are a back marketing and it's hard to kind of get across to people no williams were were absolute legends in in f1 but the way the sport has is changing there really isn't a space for a williams type team and in fact williams now isn't isn't strictly speaking williams either um i think it's hard to it's hard to explain what that 92 car was in terms of dominance. Just if you look at the, the qualifying times, if you look at the results, that car was just, I don't know, years ahead of everyone else. And it was all Williams technology. Was that the active suspension car? Was that Mansell's active suspension car? Yes. Yeah. And they were like taking chunks out of everybody at Silverstone. Just did they, did, was it banned because of them, because of that car? Absolutely. That uh, car was just, it was like the, the fan car from Bradham. It was just like, if, if everyone needs to have this, F1's over. So like, you can't have this. But for that year, that car was just, um, I don't know. It was kind of like the 88 McLaren in terms of you knew they were going to win. 
there was no no one was touching that car. Mm. And of course, uh, you know, looking at Frank Williams uh, himself as a, a leader and as a personality, most of the time I've been watching F1 was post his accident. But by all accounts, he was the sort of character who just got on with it. We know his condition did worse and it's, it's not an easy thing to live with. But he was very much a, a figurehead of, of Formula One. And, you know, unfortunately, that same kind of glory didn't continue under Claire Williams. It looked like it was going to a little bit, Matt, in that with the hybrid era <laughs> when they were the second best team for a while. Uh, you know, but that was, you know, false dawn. Uh, yeah, I mean, really, uh, aside from Maldonado winning, winning that one race in, in Barcelona, I think you have to hand it to Valtteri Bottas, almost taking pole at the uh, inaugural Russian Grand Prix, I think, as sort of being the last brief high watermark of the team. And, and they were really, I mean, you could call it a decline, but to me, it's it's the fundamental funding imbalance of the F1 universe in that they were not a manufacturer. And it, it is a shame, as you said, that a lot of the fans who've come to the sport more lately are not necessarily acquainted with just what an amazing team Williams was back when they were at the height of their success. But you could still see shadows of it, even, even up till 2014, 2015, till finally the other teams, you know, really budget and development just got the better of them. So I, I wonder with the new outfit, if... If Dorolton will will keep that name ultimately, I think it would be it would be nice. It's got such a historic. If they go about things in the right way and race respectfully and can be successful and move up the grid, like no one's going to say, "Hey, you mustn't use the Williams name because you're Dorolton." I think most people would be pleased to have that name still as part of the brickwork of Formula One. Yeah, Matt mentioned the imbalance of money. And there was this story I remember reading about how Bernie Ecclestone was the one that ultimately saved Sir Frank's life when he had his accident because he was the one that got a plane and took him to the UK. And as I was looking you know, at books and things like that, um, in 75, 76, the Williams budget was £100,000. And it was seven people in the team. So <laughs> it's a bit more than that now. Now, now look at Mercedes. So mm, it certainly has changed. Well, obviously, um, we wish the Williams family well and um, and the Williams team well as well, because you know it's it's a great team. It's been around, like I said, the whole time I've been around Formula One. And uh, please Red Five. And, say again, Red. Well, it's exactly the Red, red five, five of Nigel Mansell, the real Red Five. Vettel fans, the real Red Five. And uh, our video producer, Steve Amy, who um, is a, a lovely but angry Australian who, who yells at me all the time, say, sent me a message and said, um, just imagine, if Frank Williams hadn't given Alan Jones a drive, I as an Australian probably wouldn't have gotten into F1 and your life would be much easier right now. Well, it would be easier, <laughs> but we'd have much less good uh, video. So I think we'll, uh, we'll leave that there and we'll move on to a bit more of the Big Dirty News. Dirty news. Okay, let's uh, let's fly over to China and zoom in on on Chester. Chester, uh, you're you're in Beijing. Uh, tell us yep. a little bit about your your relationship with F1. How long you've been watching it, and and who do the what's the Chinese fan base like? 
Yeah. So I, I watched F1 like compared to all of you guys, like really recently. I only sure. started like after the turbo hybrid era. So yeah, I can only like remember Mercedes winning. So Chester, bit of, I forgive yeah. you for being pointlessly young. We're very jealous of you, but continue. <laughs> Right, right. So, um, yeah, and uh, actually, so like when when talking about the the Chinese F one like fan base, I'm not like that qualified because I started watching Formula One like in the states and like all the um, the streams and all the te- televised. I, I'll watch like in the the Sky Stream, right? Yeah, and so like it's only this year when I started a Chinese F Formula One podcast. Uh, uh, it's when I try to okay, let's see, like how to first. I need to know how to pronounce like all the Chinese translation of driver drivers' names. Oh, it's really right. hard. It's all different. Yeah, because, like <laughs> yeah, yeah, because like I like uh, English Formula One. That's like um, that's what for me from the beginning. So I have to like learn you all the Chinese okay, pronunciation. Well, uh, give us an example then. Like what what might, what might Hamilton and Verstappen sound like? Yeah, so Hamilton is Hamilton. So oh. that's like the um yeah just it's direct adjacent. translation okay yeah 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 it's just like the the same pronunciation and Verstappen is uh Verstappen so it's just the Chinese version of that but like usually the um the Formula One fans they call the drivers they don't usually use like their full name they have like nicknames for them oh, okay and yeah <laughs> like we talked about last time it's yeah, yeah, really yeah. funny and i have Go to on. like learn all of them it's not like instinctual for me it's really funny and like interesting in a certain what, way what are some to... of the nicknames then yeah so like um for let's say uh what was it like for for Verstappen example in chinese it's like top hole it's like Verstappen can maybe he like had crashes a lot in his early oh. career. Yeah, maybe yeah. that's why. So he did and, have a bit of a reputation. He was called referred to as Crashstappen yeah. early on in his career when he was younger. Not like now when he never crashes. Yeah, <laughs> just driving to other cars. But yeah, um, and that's another thing. So in China, I really I'm a bit surprised to find out like there's a lot of Verstappen fans. Like at least in the video comment sections, oh, okay. I can see like it's pretty towards Verstappen, probably because Mercedes was like yes. Hamilton's like winning a lot, so anyone but him, right? So I guess absolutely. Yeah. Look, there are a lot that is all over the world in F one fandom. There is a lot of anyone but Hamilton fans because yeah. and that's completely understandable because to a generation of f1 fans mercedes are the death star like you say you've never known yeah. an f1 where mercedes aren't the dominant team whereas to me that's ferrari ferrari are <laughs> the death star ferrari ruined f1 for me for years in fact i'll go further matt right okay germany ruined f1 for me for exactly 11 years and they were ruining football at the same time as they were ruining f1 for me I see. This is a good thing this has nothing to do with nationalist identities then. <laughs> I know, it's so bad, isn't it? It's sport though, isn't it? It's allowed. It is, but I, I can't believe you left out Vettel, because I recall the Vettel dominance years as being very much the same sentiment. Please let anyone but Vettel win at least a single race, instead of him driving off and mm. three laps later, he's, yeah. a, he's a pit stop ahead. Yeah, and this is the yeah, thing. With, so. Yeah, in the in the Vettel area, though, we we had hope, didn't we? In twenty twelve, with the the Ferrari challenge, they were winning by thirty points, uh, and then we had hope again in the uh, in obviously twenty. No, I'm thinking of twenty ten as well. Obviously, that was quite closely contested. Whereas in the Mercedes era, there was three solid years where no one but Mercedes was going to win, 
And, and it's sort of been on un- the, the Ferrari challenge petered out too quickly for anyone to get really worried or, or too excited. But uh, Chester, what we've not done is we've not we've not zoned in on your your driver allegiance. And don't tell me you're neutral. Don't go Chris Stevens on this. Yeah. So if you want to ask me, like, who I want to win this year, probably Verstappen. Because Ooh, I mean, oh, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe one of the reason is because I think he got like crashed out like with no thought of his own in Hungary. Oh, I thought you were gonna say yeah, Silverstone. That, yeah, we were gonna not, fight. not Britain. I'm not saying Britain, right? <laughs> and uh he's got and Baku, right? That's the tires blowing. Yeah. So for these two instances that if Hamilton wins in the end, everyone's gonna say, ah, oh, it's because Max got bad luck, right? That's why. And but uh apart from that, I think these two drivers are just they're so good. They are just just a whole nother level. And uh, yeah. I'm, I'm fine with both of with them. Either. Well, look, yeah. if you want the full F1 fan experience and you're a Verstappen fan, then, then you want you, you really it's better for you if Verstappen loses through this injustice, because then you get to have the full experience like Hamilton in <laughs> in the Chinese Grand Prix. 2007. Oh, yeah, 2007. Yeah. 2007. Ah. That was exactly. horrible. You know, if you want the genuine F1 fan experience, you've got to go through a, a title where you were robbed. You know, I had the Damon Hill one, 94, absolutely robbed. And that crushing, that crushing hole in my F1 heart has never truly been filled because of that injustice. So you need to feel that too. That's what you guys need to feel. Yeah. Um, but sorry, we're honing in on uh, a little bit on, on China still because obviously yeah. the, the signing of... Uh, of Zhou uh, to Alfa Romeo is is massive news and it's massive to t- tap into a, a, a huge fan base. If I if I was king of Formula One, if I was, I would definitely want a Chinese F1 driver because it certainly yeah. sounds like obviously a massive country uh, with motivated fans, and I think he's going to come in with a, a wave of support, regardless of whether he's like an ultimate talent or not. Yeah, and. Um... Like last time, I think I maybe like said not being too positive about him, but like um, I did a video like specifically about him. And as uh, one when I like did a bit more research about like him yeah. to his junior career. And um, I think it's a bit better than what I thought he was like, just looking at the numbers, especially his 2020 F2 oh, season. Yeah, you've pivoted. Yeah, and- you've pivoted. When you were on the <laughs> Patreon podcast, you were you were not so hopeful. Yeah, but I mean, he, he's a he's a pay driver. There's no arguing about that. He he came here like got into F1 not on merit alone, but like nobody's arguing about that, right? He 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 is a pay driver. He um and probably because he of his nationality, but he is quick and he's got some talent. He's not like really like abysmal and not driving well and like two seconds off the pace. He um he did some pretty stellar drive. Like for his first season in Formula Two, that's two thousand nine. He was really pretty good. I think he's one of the best rookies that okay. that year. But his second year is. Like when we, when everyone like expecting him to to step up his game and to challenge the t- title, and, and yeah, twenty twenty, okay, yeah, it's chips on the table because you're saying okay, he's not two seconds off the pace, so he's not like a. Um, oh, I was going to say he's not like a Chilton, is he? Like you know, but running around at the back, but is he going to challenge Bottas? Yes or no? And and we'll give you no. Oh, hang on a minute! I was about. To, I'm going to give you <laughs> right. six yeah. months grace. So he's got six months to get used to the car. Second half of the season, is he challenging Bottas? Um, no, no, I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, like I, I I know you guys like, um, don't really like 
and it's not like don't like it's just like i don't i rate bottas like i'm very disappointed in him sometimes like when he just like had these like abysmal defending moves and yeah. um but i think he is better than a lot of people thought he is he's only like looking average because he's compared to Lewis sure. hamilton right sure. just like all verstappen's teammates they they all look like really bad until like Ex- except paris got you yeah, okay yeah uh trumpet sorry i've been trying to get in for a while sorry mate oh well, no that's okay i just gotta say is an american who has yet to see an American driver or an American team, even though they have been massively teased. I can just imagine, you know, it must be so exciting for the Chinese market that they might accidentally post promotional material way earlier than they were told to, thereby spilling secrets that shouldn't have been spilled. Okay, okay, we're there. We're there, are we? Okay, let's let's talk about this. Okay, so on Twitter, I posted a, a picture of a Alfa Romeo dealership in Shanghai that said... You know, uh, welcome, well done, congratulations, to, uh, Joe, for being the first F1 driver. This was, of course, before any official announcement, and that tweet blew up. It was featured on national TV programs. It was on, you know, I it was on Ziggo in the Netherlands, so I presume I'm a Dutch favourite now, and, and it was quoted on on Sky F1 as well. So, I'm going to out you now, Chester, that that, that oh. photograph was supplied by you. And yep. to be fair, neither of us knew whether it was a hundred percent like genuine yeah. or whatever Photoshop, which is why I said treat this as gossip. <laughs> but like we had a big back and forth of like, how likely is this to be true? <laughs> yeah, just to be clear, I didn't took the photo, and like to be honest, I, like I was just thinking about, uh, I was just like uh, scrolling around social media, and suddenly someone in the group chat said, "Hey, look at this," and I was like, <laughs> "Oh, okay, that, that's interesting." That's not uh, the- I'll send it to. Yeah, I'll send it to Spanners and just, just like, had I know you, you'll put my translation on the Twitter as the translation for that, I would spend like more than five seconds like translating yeah, it. So many people <laughs> criticized the translation of it, but it's literally <laughs> like what you said. Um, but Matt, that's yeah. not the first time that that kind of leak has, has, has happened, you know, with just, you know, they put out the promotional material. And in fact, Giovinazzi said in an interview that that was how he found out that he was losing his Alfa Romeo drive, which is just heartbreaking. It is, and it must have been such a surprise because clearly the day after the official announcement was made, he was driving, signed up to drive for Dragon Penske in Formula E. I think he had a pretty clear idea that there was a wall and there was some writing on it. Mm. And uh, it's interesting to me, though, um, that... Vasur is it seems to be genuinely excited and he's making the argument that it's not just money mm. but but that 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 Joe brings some real talent and I've seen him have really good races in F2 so so to me like I I'm I'm sort of curious like where you want to put your bar for him relative to the the new drivers that we currently have in Formula 1 but also the thing that he said that really um, it piqued my interest a bit. Uh, let's put it that way. Was that he said that he has got more sponsors calling him right now mm. than than he has time to call back, and he fully predicts that they are going to be at maximum spending cap next year, where they absolutely weren't this year. So that alone kind of justifies him being in the team. Yeah, that's going to be good for the team for sure. And look, look, flip, look, you and I, we we are completely neutral when we're immune to national. Like, oh, just supporting our driver. But it does make a difference to a country, doesn't it? I mean, Brazil's been without a driver for a while now, and, and that's a big miss in F1. 
Um, yes, the you know if the the 2008 season had gone differently, if Massa had won that championship, I mm. believe motorsports in general in Brazil would be different. That's the kind of impact you know this kind of thing can have, and the fact that we have not had a driver since you know, and we had one at least one since the 70s is is a big blow. Yeah, so I mean, you were spoiled with Senna who is like a genuine legend of the sport. I heard there was quite a lot of, sorry, I'm diverting a little bit, but I heard there was quite a lot of negativity towards Rubens Barrichello because because he was playing a number two role. Um, I think Barrichello was a victim of Senna's death in the way that with Senna gone, he was supposed to carry on oh. because, you know, we had Emerson and then after Emerson, Piquet kept winning titles, then Senna. So, you know, like next one, why don't you win titles <laughs> as well? And, you know, it, it, it kind of hurt um, Barrichello a lot to be thrust into that position. And he was not ready, obviously. Yes. And then, of course, you've, you've got Massa to throw your weight behind and then a big disappointment in 2008. And, and cruel because, you know, you've done so well in that season. And there was a number of things. There was a fuel hose. There was a crash gate in Singapore as well. So, you know, very disappointing. but. The fan base for F1 seems very active when we go to Interlagos. And actually, it was interesting to note that that is the warmest reception Hamilton has received outside of Silverstone. Well, he, you know, he, his, his love of Senna is genuine. You know, there's no one that doubts that he's just saying, oh, you know, everyone says they like Senna. He, he obviously did, did really like him. Um, and I think the, the, the F1 crowd here is knowledgeable and they kind of, when it, you know, it's not a Brazilian driver, that's a different thing. Um, and they know, you know, the quality of what they're seeing, just like when Verstappen had that race, when he, you know, did the, this, the, his rain miracle, everyone kind of yeah. got behind it because they knew what oh, they yeah. were watching. That you know? slide. Yeah. That's, that slide, are you talking about the slide with the rain miracle? Was that the race where, obviously he had the race yeah. where he just absolutely, he didn't, I think he lapped Ricardo and ended up finishing second. Was that the same race where he had the half spin? Yeah, 2016. Yes. Yeah, 2016. Yeah. yeah, because like as soon as he did that, we got shades of, was it Alonso who had that big crash in the race that was given to Raikkonen but ended up going to Fisichella? I think it was, did Alonso have the big off and then ended up getting hit by another car? When was that? Yeah. 2005, I think. God, um, getting yeah, old now. Everything yeah, was so five, long I think. ago. Everything was so, so long ago. All right. Well, look, uh, look we, we, we've intersected Brazil and uh, Chinese F1 fandom there. I think uh, the last thing I want to end on, actually, is I skipped past this too quickly, uh, Chester. You have not a Chinese podcast Yeah. in Chinese language. In, in Mandarin. In Mandarin. Yeah. Okay, so it's not yeah. a direct rival to us. But if any <laughs> Chinese speakers are listening to this and they want to go to your podcast, how do they find it? Yeah, you can search on like any podcatcher of choice. Um, just search for Fengcheng Shimantan, which roughly translates to Formula Talk or Formula Rambo, if you want. Yeah. <laughs> okay, excellent. Well, fantastic. Um, go and check that out. And even if even if you're not a Chinese speaker, just go and download it and then you'll rise up the, <laughs> yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll the Chinese stats, sports yeah. charts. Let's, um, let's fudge the figures. Okay, let's uh, let's talk about more grizzly wars. Uh, flip. We've got we've got uh, Fernando Alonso uh, at Alpine, along the young buck of uh, Ocon, 
How, how do we yes. think that's gone? This return um, to Alpine. I think when when Alpine announced that Alonso was coming back, there was a lot of really Alonso. You know, <laughs> really McLaren. Oh, okay, you know he's good, but you know what that, what happened at McLaren. Um, but I think that there's no question that that bet um, has paid off. Um, you think Alpine? Yeah, in the last couple of races, they other than Ferrari. There's no other team that that has even gotten close to them. So, you know, I think that that paid off handsomely. And I believe that the same thing that you talked about, Vasua, um, no, wait, Matt said about Vasua and the sponsors, it kind of looks like Alpine's having that same trouble because, you know, there's a lot of names on that car right now. Yeah. And Matt, obviously, you've got you've got skin in this game being an Ocon fan. And I did, I did think Alonso was going to come in and, and thump Ocon. That was before all the new drivers were struggling a little bit less, uh, a little bit more. So it will be interesting to see how it turns out next season. Obviously, he's another year older. You've pro- he's probably lost the, the absolute edge of Alonso-ness. But looking at the triple header points, Alpine have done pretty well compared to the others. Uh, well, yeah, but only because they did really well in Qatar. They were nowhere uh. pretty much in the other two races. And then they showed up to Qatar, which is a brand new track. And, um, well, according to Ocon, at least, they, they found some setup magic there, mostly probably to do with understanding the tires or simply being better on the tires than Alpha Tauri, who were their nearest rival. And they put, because they were tied in Qatar, uh, to my recollection, going into it. And they put 25 points on AlphaTauri in that one race because AlphaTauri had a car that could qualify very well, but ate its tires after about five laps. And it was just, they went for an early two-stop strategy and it was just the worst possible choice for them. Plus, they've really, you know, I I wanted to say this, uh, you know, it's easy to say, oh, they've been fighting with one hand behind their back. But I do feel like they've just mismanaged Tsunoda throughout the year. Because I see talent and potential there, but I don't feel that they adequately were able to harness it. Jester. Yeah, that's what I want to add is like, I think AlphaTauri has got like a really good car and they should be like going to the final two races, should be still try to fight for the fifth in the constructor champion. But one thing is um, Sonoda this year is really disappointment. He's really, really good in 2020 F2. But like compared to Gasly this year, it's um, yeah. And also for Alpine, I think they score like 45% of their um, points in just two weekends. So right. in Hungary, they, they scored 20. Let me see. Um, so in Hungary, they scored 37 points. And in Qatar, they scored 25. So that's almost half of their <laughs> season's points in those two races. Yeah, yeah one is... They're, they're sitting at the moment, Matt, on 112 points. Uh, well, yeah, Alpine 137. Oh, yeah, yeah Alpha Tauri 112, Alpine 137, Matt. Yeah, so barring some amazing finish and a total disaster for them, it, it seems like they definitely have the upper hand. What's interesting to me, as an old guy, I got to love Alonso getting a podium. Whatever else <laughs> I think about his earlier peccadillos in the sport. That's your old but guy bias. Fan, I got to love him winning the race. And Alonso only in third. Yeah, it's a bit. It's a bit boring how they are working fully as a team. I'm, the one reason to hope Alpine 
are like up the grid is just to see like I cannot wait for Alonso to be like no 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 we were friends but now betrayal. <laughs> yes, you know there were tears shed at Drive to Survive when they heard that Cyril Abitable would not be yeah. in the paddock for this season with Alonso. Well, um, that I think that was what everyone was kind of hoping for or waiting for was Alonzo to freak out the moment something didn't work, but you know, he did not. And the team just kept getting better and better and better. So um, it's, there might be some people who are, you know, not particularly happy, but for it, for the team, I think it is, it is great. And just to touch on, on Tsunoda, I kept, you know, I keep wondering if he did not have that great race at Bahrain to start, maybe the team would have taken a little bit more care with him, um, brought him a little bit, you know, more slowly. Um, and maybe, you know, he would have progressed more. You know, it took them way too long to bring him to live mm-hmm. in Fenza and, you know, to be really mentored. And that was just wasted time. Yeah, sure. I really feel like some of the early interaction was 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 unfair. Like the judgment in the media was unfair. He's, he's, he's speaking, obviously, a lot of F1 drivers, English isn't their first language. And he's very, like, emotional. And you're trying to get words out in not your first language as well. And I just, I felt like some of the coverage was unfair. When you, when you look at all the drivers... There is a lot of ponyish behaviour over the comms, and he seemed to get singled out quite a lot. Uh, and I think they definitely took him under his wing, and they said, "Look, this is the impression you're giving." Uh, and that has that bit flip has settled down. That bit, you know, there there isn't the kind of outcry on the radio anymore. Yes, yes, um, I think in the early races, and I I started the year watching him on board, and it was quite surprising how he would speak. You know, because he was he, he sounded like he was really angry, but he was not. Um, you know, and if you look at it, you know, Giovinazzi had that that message where he thanked the team for the strategy when he was obviously saying <laughs> yeah. the strategy was crap. Yeah. Um, and no one said anything. So, yeah. no, because, he, you know, it's Giovinazzi. And and, and if Tsunoda did that, he would probably, you know, be wrecked uh, in the media for it. Well, well look, you know, uh, the Brits and Europeans can get away with stuff sometimes, like Brits especially, with a more passive-aggressive tone and being very kind of understated. Uh, my, my my mother's Filipino, and in Filipino culture and communication, it's very loud, it's very boisterous, it's boastful, and it's all about grabbing a karaoke mic and telling everyone you're amazing. And that can come across as brash and rude. And and I know the Dutch guys have a very direct way of speaking that can also come across on like internet tones as different. So I think a lot of that has been lost. And in a way, kind of Alpha Tauri has had to bring him more into like an anglicized way of communicating so that the press won't be super harsh on him. But what I will say is we have seen the beginning of the 2021 season, all the new drivers or all the drivers who swap teams struggle. And I'll keep beating that horse because I think a lot of those drivers we cannot judge properly until 2022 kicks in. Are you optimistic, Chester? Do you think Sonoda can can kick off 22 looking like the driver that some people think he is? Yeah, definitely hope so. Like, yeah, I think he's a very exciting character on the track and especially like for, for his 2020 season, he I think he finished uh, third in F2, right? And so... So no, everyone was talking about him and he's like really like a new star, like come into Formula One and got so utterly 
maybe not destroyed, but like um, handily beaten by Gasly, who was also handily beaten by Verstappen in the Red Bull team. So this seems like to be like a three tiers um, of, of driver, driving standards. And so I, I definitely like hope for, for his sake and to, to improve on the 22 car. Mm. I think like um, there are some talks about like the 22 cars are not that easy to handle. I think, uh, is it uh, Charles Leclerc? talking about it uh, using the new simulator and i think it'll be very interesting to see how the drivers adapt so uh talking back to bottas so he was really quick in the dominant mercedes years but like for this year once they have the four cut they uh, he he seems like um a bit further away from lewis mm. I think yeah. that's due to like the car is not being perfect so that shows like what the, the extra um the final edge of Hamilton. Yeah, you, you were making the argument that I love to make, which is that Mercedes is a lot, lot harder to drive than Lewis Hamilton yeah. makes it look. Yeah, and I think that was also the problem in 2020. Um, I watched a lot of Verstappen onboards on, in 2020, and that car was not easy to drive. That car was tough. And when you look at it now uh, on the, the 16B, and you say, oh, you know, Perez is having all these great results. And, you know, meanwhile, Gasly didn't, you know, Albon didn't. Um, the, this year's car is a lot easier to drive. So, you know, that you, you have to figure, you know, take that into account when you're saying, you know, this guy is so good, this guy's not good. Um, and I think that to know that, you know, like Chester was saying, has been handily beaten by Gasly, yes. Gasly has had a... I, you know, there's no way to call it other than a superb and fantastic year. And as a rookie, I, I don't think anyone expected him to really challenge mm. Gasly. And I, I don't think anyone expected, you know, Gasly to do what he has done. You know, he has like 14 P6 start and better yeah. starts and, and it's just crazy. So Gasly is just starting to throw to show that bit of ruthless consistency that you want from the top guys, you know, and that's what been Hamilton's strength. That has been Verstappen's strength this year. The thing that sets you above the crowd is that consistency. That, that to be fair, you know, a lot of the young drivers come in and they they don't have it. With uh, Sonoda, the thing that gives me hope is the time she's gone wheel to wheel. A lot of those battles are lost in the midfield. Just gives me a little bit of hope going forward. So I, I still think Gasly to be the the top driver in AlphaTauri next season, but hopefully a bit closer. But what? Let's make a prediction now. Next season. 50-year-old Fernando Alonso against the still very, very good Ocon. All right, I'm happy to lay it on the line now. Let's let's make our predictions. Chester, how do you think that battle, that teammate battle goes? I think uh, Fernando will edge over Ocon just a bit. But like looking back, Ocon is re- holding his ground really well against Alonso. Because I remember like uh, for most of his teammates, Alonso really crushed them. Right, like um, he he really crushed um, Nelson Piquet Jr., Grosjean, Massa, mm. Raikkonen, um, and Vendoran, of course. The only uh, driver he didn't dominate over qualifying, I think, is Truly. Right, Yano Truly in the Renault, he um, Truly got a bit better uh, but then, yeah, but we can argue that uh, that's, that time that's is a really freak. younger. That's a freak F one occurrence. That's fine. Yeah. We, 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 yeah. we understand. But, like to to be this close to one of the greats in Formula One, I think Ocon is doing is doing pretty well. But we ha- also have to consider he's like yeah, fifty six sixty years old, right? Um, yeah, and he's been away from the sports for for two years. 
um, I think next year they will be similar to this year. So remember, like after um, Alonso asked for the um, the the steering wheel input change, right? The the feedback wasn't he wasn't thinking that is good enough for him. So okay. he asked the team for for a new steering wheel feedback system. He got a lot better after that, and also I think um, after adjusting to the cars and getting the feel of it, definitely helped. All right. The next two people I'm going to ask, I think, are biased. Matt, who's winning that battle, 2022 Alpine battle? I honestly don't know because I look at their current performances and I really I see them within 10% of each other. Qualifying is usually about a tenth apart. You put either one of them in front and they can stay there. I mean, Ocon won a race yeah. with with and and I I do I need to point this out just because he is uh, I am a bit of a fanboy that he was fuel saving. In that Alpine, while Vettel was using extra fuel in that Aston, and Vettel, a four-time world champion, still could not get past him. I, I think you underrate Ocon at your own peril here. And and really, what's interesting is the two of them working as a team with the new management and with a car that's essentially from 2019 and doing as well as they have. I think I think the bigger question is which teams should be perhaps more concerned about Alpine next year. I agree with Matt. I think uh, Alonso and Alcon, it's going to be tight and, you know, it's going to take a DNF and, and it's, it's done. The real question is the teams who should yeah. be worried. AlphaTauri, Aston Martin, maybe McLaren, maybe Ferrari, they should be looking over their shoulder and saying, hmm, maybe these guys are coming. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Okay, can I provide a bit of a balance to this? And I, maybe Chester will no. agree. We shouldn't be, we should not be talking about Alpine. Right, this is Renault. Alpine Renault, that's the name of the team. We should not be talking about Renault. Oh, they finally, you know, managed to get past Alpha Tauri, the Red Bull B team. They are not in good company right now. They are 121 points behind McLaren, 
who are a, you know, a privateer team, who are not even a, a works team. And if you want to look at Ferrari, who is the next works team up, that is 297 points Ferrari are on. We're talking 150 points here. To categorise Alpine's season as anything other than a fail would be wrong, Chester, surely. Yeah, I think for their five-year plan, to, it's it's a pretty big disappointment. Like, Alpine and Renault um, always seem to like promise pretty big and deliver yeah. not, that, ah, okay. <laughs> not that good. But I think that comes from the internal politics. So Cyril Abitable yeah. had to keep promising championships to, to get funding, to get people to invest. And in the end, Matt, I, I feel like that move to go Alpine, let's do Alpine, not Renault, although it's billed as, okay, well, let's promote our sports brand. To me, it kind of feels like, well, let's get the Renault name off this because it ain't going good. I think you could interpret it that way, but I will see your okay. I will see your. This is a disappointment. With not only did Ibitable, who was the uh, call him what you will behind the strategy here, absolutely leave entirely. They brought in a brand new management team, and as you said, their original bet all along was on the brand new regulations, which got kicked back an extra year. So they're really competing. I mean, they're almost in terms of their car, a lot of ways, they're like at Haas levels because they're competing with a 2019 engine that's like 30 brake horsepower down on every other engine. Now, and we saw Ferrari struggling against McLaren until they had their ERS upgrade as well. So I really do think that they've had a whole extra year to get the regulations right for 2022. I'm kind of interested to see what they're going to bring to the table. Yeah, so like about the um I think the uh Alpine is on their twenty nineteen chassis and also twenty nineteen engine, right? So that's like a three year old engine and chassis, especially for the engine. I think it's almost like twenty or thirty horsepower, some people say, down on the um Mercedes or Honda power unit. So it's a really like one hand tied behind behind their back thing. They had really I think if you're down like 20 horsepower, you it's really like compromises your setup and for a lot of things. So I think considering that they're doing pretty well, but I like, I'm really scared about like their next year's engine because it'll be freezed um, for further until 2026. Right. I okay. hope they got that right. If not, they will be like a miserable Sitting five year. Duck. Yeah. yeah. Flip. Um, I think we're also, you know, we need to point out that the previous regime at Renault was not particularly successful. And, you know, it takes a little bit of time for things to trickle down to the track. Um, But considering where they were, I think this year, you know, I bet the team is happy with the progress they they made. Let's put it that way. Mm, There we go, Matt. Well, Matt, we've had someone in the chat room, Weitzer, saying a, a beatable and Carter, please on a missed Apex show. We've been trying to get hold of Matty Carter. You know, we've been chatting to him. It's just hard to pin him down for a date at the moment. Yeah. Obviously, deep into organising the Vancouver Epre, which we definitely want him to to organise well. Succeed at, yes. Yeah, we want that to go well. We're going there and we're, we're hoping to at least, we're, uh, at least get to look into the posh hospitality bit. That would be my hope. You peek through the doors. Yeah, peek through the door at all the, all the posh folk. Uh, but he famously did not get on with Cyril Abitable. But now that Cyril's not in F1, maybe we get Carter to send him a, a cheeky message and see. Because that engine supplier team principal relationship as well, you know? Yeah. Mm, that would be fun. Uh, flip. And 
if we want to get back to where we started with Williams, um, we should remember that Patty Lowe's regime at Williams, you know, kind of dropped the team to where they are now. So, you know, it, and it takes a while for it to, mm, to recover, return to, yeah. You know. So, so what you're saying, Flip, is, well, you're just placing it all at the former management team, basically. Um, I think, you know, uh, Every time Renault or Alpine or whatever joined F1, we have seen, you know, internal politics be their problem, basically. So this was not different. You know, there's the, there's the government, there's a lot of, you know, ins and outs on that particular thing. But I think that their bet on Alonso and the changes they're made to the car and how the team is working now, especially, you know, the two drivers are working together, their development is going in the right way. I think if they have been going the same way for the new regs, I would say, you know, they, they, could, be, they could be good. All right. Let's go down the bottom end of the field. All right, Matt. We've talked about Alfa Romeo in the, in the sense of drivers. Let's have a, I mean, we'll go down to the bottom end of the field. So we're really talking Alfa Romeo and Haas here. What about the money? Was there? Was it not Andretti? Were the Americans not going to come in and have two two teams at the back? Sorry, Americans. What what happened to that? Uh, it didn't happen. And as to exactly why it didn't happen, uh, I, I've seen several different rumors, none of which have been confirmed to the point where I'd say this is exactly what happened. But in essence, um, I, one thing that I heard was that in addition to the asking price, which was I believe around three hundred fifty million. Um, they were asked to provide a bank bond for another $250 million to be spent over the next five years. So they had no um, – oh, they were like, asked to put up so, – yeah. So like held in escrow almost. Basically. So like, like you are, you need to lose this money now. You can't touch right. it. Well, that's an awful big upfront investment to make. Yeah, and that might have been team-oriented in that they were concerned that Andretti might try and cheap out a year or two um, once they – bought it because they didn't really have the funding in place to to spend in full to the spending cap. But the other rumor that I heard was that um, because, as you, I'm sure, know, there is a 200 million euro inter F1 with a new team price. So that's enter with a new team and then mm. pay for all the facilities and everything else and hire all the staff and stuff like that. It's, it's made current teams worth more, which was uh, the point of it. But I believe that some board members... Uh, might have been taking a look at what Andretti was offering and saying, well, hey, you know, hang on a second. Maybe we're worth a bit more than this. And if we just wait around a little bit longer and are successful next year, we can sell for even more than Andretti has offered us. And so I've also heard that the board itself was split on whether or not to sell. And it does make sense because the anti-dilution fee, which, you know, Dominicali has said that they might waive in certain cases. Oh, so it's goodness. more it's, yeah. it's more of a, you know, our guys get it free, you know, if you're not, you're staying the line. Yeah, but, is, is it more of a way just to make sure people are serious? You know, you're like, we need to, yes. yeah. And then, but if you're, I don't yes. know, if you're Porsche, they might go, ah, yeah, we know you're good. We know you're good. Sorry, Something Flip. like yeah. that. Continue Something like point. that. Yeah, yeah it, it sounds like it. But the thing is, that whole idea is to make, the team's worth more. So, you know, like Matt was saying, it makes sense. It's the USA style of a franchise where, you know, you are worth more than, you know, just the, the, the 
the team itself. You know, there's a, an intrinsic mm. value to being an F1 team. And that's what that 200 million is supposed to do. Well, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. In essence, I think this really goes back to the uh, downfall of Force India. Oh. And the fact that them and Caterham and Manor all just basically got auctioned off to the highest bidder. And don't forget, there was that uh, unhappy lawsuit by um, Mazepin, who also had made an offer on Force India against Stroll. And I think the FIA, uh, FIA, excuse me, FOM, uh, see a, a point in setting a basement value. So if I'm a team and I've completely run out of money, someone coming in is going to pay enough to cover my staff, my facilities, and that team will continue to be able to run. Whereas if I don't have that minimum entry price, they'll wait for me to go bankrupt and just buy me up uh, at minimum cost and then try and, and they can then try and run me at minimum cost and then sell me off to someone who wants a functioning team. Which, you know, it makes sense that the whole Force India thing was a debacle. Um, but the thing is also that these 200 million, the teams get a piece of that. So it's also a, a carrot for the teams to, you know, hey, you know, there's this new guy, let's give him some money, which mm. I think should be coming, you know, the better <laughs> distribution of prize money. I'm uh, wondering what uh, the Chinese perception of Alpha Alfa Romeo is in, in Britain, you know, it's very much of a, you've got to own an Alfa Romeo, but, you know, be prepared to fix it. I don't, I don't know what this will, this will do to the reputation <laughs> of Alfa exactly Romeo. It's exactly oh, it? Okay, yeah. okay, fair enough. <laughs> but obviously there's going to be a lot of uh, Alfa Romeo merch. I'd imagine there will be a, a fan base support f- for the team if it stays as Alfa Romeo. Yeah, definitely. And um, talking about Alfa Romeo and the dealer, I think like, on Wednesday and th- or Thursday, so um, a lot of the Chinese version of the Formula One commentators, they were mysteriously invited to an Alfa Romeo event. Oh, I and see. someone, yeah, mm. they they post the pictures and like making funny faces about me. Yeah, it's yeah, so it's like definitely heavily rumored. Everyone knows what's going to happen. Yeah, it's pretty obvious. And so for Alfa Romeo, I think it's definitely in their brand's interest to to expand the Chinese market. So for the past few years, I think um, uh, Alfa Romeo has done. Okay, in here, uh, I think Julia has uh, sold pretty well. Although it's, I think uh, one of the reasons is they lowered the price pretty heavily, so uh, uh-huh. they sold a lot. I think, yeah, for for the next few years, if Joe is there, you can like use him as a pretty pretty good advertisement and to to sell up your your road cars. Yeah, so that's that's an incentive map for for Alfa Romeo or for Sauber to basically not sell up. Because they go, well, actually, this is a pretty valuable team with, with Joe being here. We, we, we can expand, you know, markets. And, and maybe that even affected the price and the attitude towards the Andretti sale. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all, because at the end of the day, the team is very self-interested and the owners are very self-interested. And that's the way this game has always been played. <gasps> what? And Alfa Romeo is part of Stellantis. And all of those brands got a 10-year, you know, improve or die from, from management. Oh, wow. So. Oh, okay. Uh, there's some, some comments in our live chat here from our patron live chat. EJ says, uh, there's such beautiful cars. I really want one, but you need at least three alphas to have a daily drive. Yeah, because I, I, I had an alpha. I absolutely loved it. 
But you have to accept that having an alpha means sometimes not having a car. And Steve says, I had a few alphas, hard work, but great fun. And they are. And when they work in there, they're beautiful. They're, they're a joy. Yeah the, yeah, the one I had just cruising around on, on country roads, it, it felt like it was like somehow the controls were tapped into my brain. It was a wonderful car to drive. You must have owned an alpha flip. You must have done. It was the car that made me love cars. My mom uh, had a gray alpha that I just loved. So, and yeah. my, my keychain right now for my car, which is not an alpha, is the Alfa Romeo symbol. So, yeah, yeah, but it, it taught me all about, you know, oil management in a car. <laughs> and I, had to, I had to learn some pretty harsh lessons. <laughs> with, with mine, there was a point where I had to carry spare oil because <laughs> it just kept, it just kept blowing stuff up and just leaving a truck. You could tell where I'd been. I couldn't hide from the police. My my mother's car had that problem as well. <laughs> okay. needed oil. Let's move even further down the grid to uh, to Haas. Um, now, uh, Haas just don't get talked about a lot on on this show. Now, from my point of view, I wasn't particularly excited about Haas at the beginning of the season. Um, Mazepin, even before any limo shenanigans seemed like an entirely unlikable character from his previous racing career. So there was nothing there to endear me to, to Mazepin and his performances uh, or the PR drive to say how funny he is and to bring uh, Gunter Steiner a door because uh, he smashed a door once. None of that has changed my mind on Mazepin. So the needle for me has not moved. Michael Schumacher, uh, sorry, Mick Schumacher, beg your pardon, the needle has moved. Because at first I was just thinking, well, you know, this is a a kid who was always going to be in F1. There's so much will behind him, I assume money, backing. People want that Schumacher name back into Formula One. He was already being followed and getting massive support from Formula Four onwards. And, and, and that, to me, that doesn't excite me to, to have that kind of nepotism in Formula One. From a sporting point of view, it doesn't excite me. My needle has moved a little bit. And sure, he hasn't had much to fight against Matt, but he has been routinely the better Haas driver. And actually, well, I'll go to you, to be honest, Flip. Uh, also, he's moved the needle for me just because of his conduct. He seemed like a very nice, <laughs> nice young man. And having that pressure with the name is not an insignificant burden. And the interviews talking about his dad, the constant questions around that have all been handled incredibly well. So the needle has moved for me. However, Haas is not a team that inspires headlines from a sporting point of view. No, it does not. Uh, but one of my favorite things to do in every F1 weekend is to listen to Mick Schumacher's audio because ah. they are just fabulous. Um, that's how you mentor a rookie. That's, a, but that's textbook how you make a rookie you know, get into F1, improve. It's just what they're doing to him is just perfect. However, on the other hand, on the other car, things are not as rosy. Um, mm. And I think it shows on track in terms of results that, you know, Mazepin was never as good as Schumacher was in F2, but he was not this bad either. And I think um, in the recent um, interview with Mazepin where he, it was pretty emotional about people leaving, about the changes. You can see how, you know, he's not having as easy a life in Haas as Schumacher is having. And it's weird because his dad is basically, you know, paying the bill. So mm. that's really strange. 
Yeah, and this gets to the heart of something. And far be it for me to come to the defense of Joe Sayward. One, because he doesn't need it. Two, because even if he heard about me defending him, he would probably laugh. Another Sayward apologist. We don't need any more. But when he talked about Mazepin, I, I remember watching Mazepin in F2. And regardless of anything else, he would have some pretty amazing drives from time to time. And I have not seen a hint of that in Formula One. And it is a mystery to me why they've not been able to extract some performance from him in this setting. Well, the car sucks. And I usually do FPs watching one of the Hasses, and that car is just terrible. Why, why would you put yourself through that? Why are you doing that? Oh, oh, from a journalistic have, point you, of view, I suppose. You have, yes, you I'm, have to okay. look at them. I'm, and, I'm know, glad our editor-in-chief is monitoring all the cars yeah. and not just ignoring cars like us, uh, Matt. Yeah, and and so I think that's a missing piece of the Haas puzzle. But they really did. I mean, every team on the grid has said, oh, yeah, we're stopping our 2021 development early. Ferrari just said, oh, you know, we, we didn't change our plans at all. You know, we're we're stomping McLaren into the dirt, but we didn't change our plans to stop developing for 2021. Haas showed up with last year's car with like, you know, they got the saws all out and made the new cuts in the floor. And they've not done a thing to it since then. And the only good thing I can say about that is they are one of two teams to not exceed their power unit allotment for the year. The other one being Alfa Romeo, if you can believe that. So the Ferrari teams are the only ones that haven't blown up too many engines. Yeah, not going fast but, enough. But your old Cali has money. That money is being spent. And if you think back to when uh, Haas first came to the grid, they were pretty competitive. And I know they probably lost a lot of personnel because it must have been dismal to see Grosjean and Magnussen go and then to have to suffer through this. But they have new offices co-located in Ferrari now. And again, they're a team in 2022 that might show up and suddenly not be hanging out at the very, very back of the grid. Yeah, remember when they failed in two pit stops in Australia? Their car was the best out of, you know, the best of the rest. It was Grosjean and Magnus. And after that, the team just nosedived. We're going back an awfully long way, though, aren't we? My goodness, we're having to reach and claw back there, Matt. It was the regulation change in 2017 that killed them. All right. Up until then, they were quite competitive. They were fighting with uh, Renault for fifth place. All right. Let's, uh, Let's look forward a little. Okay, for 17 points, where's the next race? Does any, has it been confirmed? Is it ready? Anyone it's know? Ready. It's ready. It's ready. Okay, so I didn't like the words I was hearing, which is that they've got the basics. <laughs> it was like the basic components of a racetrack are ready. Uh, there's been some sim laps of it. I don't think I've seen any kind of real footage of it, but it looks singapore in its nature. Looks like it. People are saying, I've seen people going, oh, it, it's too fast and the barriers are too close. Okay, well, we've got Singapore, so that's not, it's not a unique thing in Formula One. But I don't know, Chester, what do you think of what we've seen of the track so far and who's it going to suit? Yeah, I, um, first of all, I think like I've driven, driven in the sim uh, lap or two, 
it's really fast. And I think the thing with it is because uh, unlike Singapore, there are a lot of fast corners、mm. in there, and some of them are even like half blind. So just like Eau Rouge, right?、Uh, the problem with it is because like when a car loses control and it usually bounces back to the racing line, that's the dangerous part. Like. Like Lando this year, and like Antoine in 2019. So I don't know, but I mean, if I approved it, they approved the the safety rating of the track. So I assume they they are confident about it. But yeah, it's it's a really fast track and really okay. So so the difference between this and Singapore is Singapore is a lot of 90 degree turns, so it's a lot of breaking in a straight line. So you're saying that、yeah. this is lots more sweeping corners, and therefore,、yeah. if it breaks suddenly, like if you break and lose the back end at cops, you've got a long way to go to the barrier. Even if you hit、yeah. it quick, you know you're you're slowing down a lot.、Um, so here, maybe that's where the danger is. Flip, what do you make of it? Yeah,、um, it has twenty officially twenty seven corners. Oh my god! So that's going to be fun.、Ugh. Most of them are not even corners. But officially, the track map has twenty-seven corners, so that's going to be fun. Okay, Matt. You know, like how when you make a, a martini, you just say vermouth over the top of the gin. That's kind of like the corners in Jetta. They just sort of whisper corner as the cars drive through it flat. Oh, I see. Okay, so slight bends. There are DRS zones that are not straight. That's how much. You know they're going to be turning. So,、uh, p- uh, hello, <laughs> Grosjean into Abbey says hello. Wasn't that the last time there was a DRS zone on a bend? Was they they were allowed to keep it open into turn one at Silverstone? <laughs> yeah, everyone saw Grosjean do it and went nah.、Uh, yeah, remember well, Nazar in Montreal warming his tires with the DRS open. So well,、uh, well, Matt. Well, I don't know who's it going to who's it going to suit because Motorsport.com. And was it a Summers article?、Uh, Summers and Noble, yes. Yeah. yeah, Matthew Summerfield. We'd like to claim him, but he's really a Motorsport dot com guy. He's the deputy tech editor at Motorsport dot com. Pretty big deal.、Um, you can listen back to his、uh, tech show from a couple of weeks ago.、Uh, he thinks that Redbone, Red Bull might be boned. Redbone, Red Bull might be boned. Why? Why? Because you need to give yourself something to do after the show is over, right? <laughs> yes. Okay.、Um, yeah. So here's the thing. This is the int- and this is the thing. First of all, Jeddah is an incredibly high speed track, and if you're asking yourself about pure engine power, you'd have to give the nod to the Mercedes rocket engine from Brazil. Brand new, absolutely crushed it. And and I've seen people say like three thousand meters of the track is full throttle, a lot of time in eighth gear, which might also be a little advantage for Ferrari with their brand new. Um, double voltage ers、uh, over McLaren, but where the real issue has come, and we saw this in Brazil, and we saw it again in Qatar, is with the rear wing of the Red Bull,、yeah. specifically in the medium downforce configuration, which is is sort of their favorite one, the flappy one. Matt, I've told you my theory on that. That is, a, have you ever seen a bird flapping its wings to go higher and to go、yeah. faster? That the Red Bull wing is flapping. That's pushing it forward. Uh, it, it, it is, but it's actually in the manner at, at the amplitude、mm. it is occurring is is a disadvantage to them. But what's interesting is they've not yet been able to fix it. And one of the problems for them is that、um, the actuator, the actual mechanism that both 
opens the DRS is illegal and keeps it. <laughs> no, no, you sure? I, I think we should test it. I think we should keeps do it, it in place. A new DR, a new test after. Sorry, carry on. <laughs> is homologated. So they cannot change the design. They have, you're allowed two actuators. They have one that runs in their high downforce wing and one that runs in the medium and the low downforce wing. They can't change that design. They can change, I believe, the components that affix it to the wing. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, it's, it's going to have to be, they're going to have to play around with that wing itself in order to stop the flapping from happening. And if they can't, they're not going to be able to use it. And that, is going to be perhaps a big disadvantage for them, um, possibly at Jeddah, although they might use a Baku super low down force wing, but mm. certainly at Abu Dhabi where they've reprofiled the corners and, and you're going to have, that looks like that would probably be the best bet or the one that they'd be most likely to want to use. Would be the medium downforce one. Medium downforce, yeah. yeah. Okay, Chester. And that's exactly what happened in Qatar. They had problems. They were lo- running the um, the medium downforce setup for free practices, but like just before quality, they switched to the high downforce wing. And both Perez and Verstappen were complaining about the balance of the car. I think it's just because they just couldn't get the 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 medium downforce wing to work to not break. So they had to go with the higher downforce wing setup, even though that's not their optimum yeah. like choice. Yeah. So it's it's really weird because like. Um, in the earlier of the season, they didn't see. They don't seem to have a problem with the DRS actuator thing. It's just for this triple header, they were they were having like problem in Mexico, in Brazil, and also in Qatar. So in Qatar, I can think about maybe the um the curbs, but like in the other two tracks, it's maybe when the car is going really fast, the um the aerodynamic no- load on the wing is maybe higher than the um the the. Uh, design tolerance so i don't know yeah. they, they've got to fix it or it's going to be a really big disadvantage going to the final two really fast tracks mm. so as a neutral i look at the the red bull wing and i <laughs> shut up matt i i don't like the defense of well, it's always a, oh, a disadvantage it doesn't matter what it's doing it's a disadvantage probably having a lopsided rear wing for mercedes was a disadvantage as well uh, if it's a flaw and it's illegal, then obviously that would be exposed on tests or whatever. So I, I, all I'm saying is I don't like the the argument of, well, it's a disadvantage, so it doesn't matter what's happening. Something weird is happening with that wing. If that was happening during the race flip, I think a lot of teams would look at that and go, what What were they trying to do? Like that, Because Red Bull are so good at exploring all the limits. If their wing is doing that thing that I've not seen in all the time of using DRS... You've got to think they came up with a super plan and for whatever reason, it's causing that. Well, you know, if you look at how much they're trying to fix it, I think I agree with Matt that it is it is a disadvantage because if it was not, they would be pretending to fix it. And when they changed everything in Qatar, because that wing was really looking flimsy, I think that pretty much nails it that they're not happy with that. And you know, it's going to be a problem. Yeah, it's in all likelihood will be a problem for him. But Horner, in to, to his credit, remained eternally optimistic that they felt they could sort it. And it, they, they do have options aside from just replacing the actuator in terms of bringing solutions to the track. What I would suggest is watch what they run in free practice too in Jeddah. Because that's going to be the solution they want to run in the in qualifying and in the race. And if that breaks, 
then you know they're going to be on the back foot and you best get to your bookie as quick as possible. Yeah, and I suppose if they turn up and they just go, go ah, okay, no, this is clearly a low downforce circuit and they just decide to run the low downforce wing, that tells us nothing, I guess, because they won't have that same issue. They won't have that same problem. Uh, yeah, mm. uh, if, okay. if they choose if they choose a wing where the problem already isn't happening, then then it, the whole thing is kicked to Abu Dhabi, okay. and we'll find out there. All right, but, yeah, yeah. No, no I'm sorry. I, I just I, I love the point that that Chester made because it, it's about the balance of the car. Ultimately, if they have yeah. to run a rear wing that they can't balance the front with, they're going to have understeer. And that's what we saw very much in Qatar, the high downforce rear. They couldn't balance the front. So when the tires were cold, and even when they weren't, they were suffering from understeer that they didn't get with the medium downforce solution because that balances the car better on tracks like that. Yeah, and they can fix the actual uh, actuator because it needs a token and they already yep. spent their two tokens. So that's why they, they always like try to fix everything around the extra problem yeah I, like they have like extra like uh strengthening material on the wing on the um uh on the joint but not they can't fix the actual yeah. actuator last thing on this topic because weitzer asked a good question here in our, our live chat if it's fatigue they could have just changed the parts for new parts of the same spec which is what is making me think matt no it's a design issue rather yeah. than just a, a fault yeah. yeah, and if it's a design issue with the actuator, then they're going to have to change the whole rest of the wing to solve it. Yeah, all right. Fair enough. And uh, yeah, someone's suggesting it's a rogue wing, <laughs> like the rogue marshal. Okay, uh, let's, let's make some predictions. Okay, uh, just before uh, we do that, I would like to ask you to follow me on Twitter, at SpannersReady, and also go and check out Mist Apex Motorsport on youtube we'll put some links to our latest event which is an iRacing sim race but it features myself uh, van jean carl power matt trumpets bradley bradley philpot as our driver steward catman turner and uh, and chris stevens as our commentators and steve amy producing all the video so the whole crew is involved if you'd like to see how we put on a sim event go and check that out it was it was great and uh, and my best result no spoilers, but my, my best result ever. If you want to watch me being quite fantastic and brilliant and pulling off some some handsome and funny moves, then go and check that out. Uh, go and follow uh, Chester's podcast if you're a Chinese speaker. Remind me of the name uh, again. It's it's Fang Cheng Shi Man Tan. Um, in English, it's Formula Talk. Okay, that's that's good. Okay. Go and follow that. Go check that out. Flip, what can you point us to in uh, Mr. Apex writing world or what's coming up? Well, we are returning to our coverage of the weekend so we're going to have a preview of mm -hmm. what expects us at Jeddah and you know we're going to cover all the sessions and then after the race we're going to publish a dive into the data to figure out what you know caused the result to actually happen so mm -hmm. that's going to be a lot of fun and as much as I try to uh, lean in and influence the writing staff to be more hamfosi I have not been successful <laughs> Well, I think, you know, we do a fair amount of talking about Hamilton and Verstappen these days. And, you know, um, I, I try to actually, you know, not make Brazil all about Hamilton because honestly it was. <laughs> yeah. um, we kind of, you know, talk about the other 19 people that were on track, apparently. 
Yeah, um, it's annoyingly, but, it's annoyingly yeah. neutral. But anyway, MissedApex.net, and if you click the articles tab, you'll find uh, all of Flip's team uh, and, and their writing there, Matt, at MattPT55 as well. Someone was asking where we can find your wife's work, so we'll list where we can find your wife's romantic novels in yes. the links below and try not to think about how all the romantic leads are inevitably inspired by Matt himself, so... We're in Christmas. Have that effect on certain people? I don't know. We're definitely in Christmas present territory, aren't we? Think of, think, consider buying Matt's wife's books as a a Christmas present to your better half. uh, Historical romantic novels at times, Um, but also consider uh, Race Weekend magazine. It's a magazine by our friend Magnus Greaves, and it is an A3, just brilliant uh, book of like photography and articles, mainly for me. Because, you know, you know me, I'm like a no subtitles, Netflix, no reading books, dum-dum. For me, it's the pictures. The pictures are glorious. They've got access to a great library. It's a it's a very much an executive desktop toy almost. You know, it's uh, it's the Newton's Cradle of F1 magazine. So if you're looking for a Christmas present for someone that you love and uh, and loves F1, I don't think you can go too far wrong with this. And Magnus is giving me far too generous a cut for anybody who subscribes, $100 for four editions, free postage to the US and the UK. That will be the 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 top link in the show notes below the Williams Spinal Injury Awareness link if you want to go and contribute to that as well. Okay, predictions. Chester, what's going to happen? What's going to happen in Saudi Arabia? Tell us. Do basically do the race review for us now in full. <laughs> yeah, I, I think... Um... I think Mercedes will win, but I think Red Bull will be closer than everybody thinks because, like, if we look back uh, at Brazil and also Qatar, I think it's more down to Red Bull messing up their setup than, like, Mercedes just magically, like, improve, like, 120%, right? Mm. Um, if you look at the um, the percentage compared to the rest of the field, it's Red Bull dropping, dropping off compared to the previous races rather than, like, Mercedes own, uh, got the... Um, uh, got the magic engine and mm. everything working right. So if if um, in Saudi, Red Bull can get their setup right, if they can fix their flappy rear wing, I think it'll be pretty close. Even though with the um, the Brazilian engine, uh, Hamilton's got is going to be a tough tough one to beat. But I yeah. think I think it'll be close. I don't know how the the overtaking is going to work on that track because even though with three DRS zones, I don't I don't really see like a big like a possible overtaking spot on the track. <laughs> well, so, yeah. What you can be sure of is if Mercedes turn up with a dominant car, if Verstappen has even a sniff of a chance to block, he's definitely going to take it. So odd this season, you know, we had Mexico yeah. where Red Bull suddenly looks so dominant. You go, what? Where has that come from? You know, and, and Hamilton fans, not me, were losing hope. And then you have this turnaround. But I think in Qatar, you're right. I think Mercedes were in control, but it was slightly flattered by not only that, but also a possible front wing issue with uh, Verstappen. Flip, lay it out for us. What's going to happen? Tell us how we're going to feel when this race is done. My main concern with Saudi Arabia is, are we going to beat Baku's red flag record? Because (laughs) maybe that is going to be a mess. It's super fast. There are walls everywhere, and if you're going to overtake, you're going to have to really force it into maybe turn one, and other than that, no. So, you know, my, my whole thing is if this race goes 
you know, from lap one to lap 50, mm. 50 or 51, I think it's 50, um, without a red flag, that's a win. Um, <laughs> in terms of results, I think um, Verstappen's going to have a hard time winning mm. unless he starts in front of Hamilton. Um, so that sets up a pretty exciting race at the front. Um, at the back, I think Ferrari just wraps it up um, and, you know, takes third place. Mm. Um, and that will be it for McLaren. Matt. Yeah, it's a pretty simple race. On paper, it would very much seem to favor Mercedes, the more so uh, if Red Bull continue to be plagued by uh, wing issues and not being able to optimize their setup because they can't run the wing they want. However, Flip adequately points out, or correctly points out, it's really going to be down to safety cars and red flags because you could drive off and have a minute and a half lead, and if somebody Mm -hmm. drives into a wall and there's a safety car, it's all gone so it may wind up being a much closer race than we think but not for necessarily traditional racing reasons okay if either perez or bottas end up mysteriously going into a barrier when when their teammate needs to catch up we we, we that's where we came in i just got to say there's priors with bottas this year I don't, I don't think that was deliberate i mean if it was going to be deliberate that is exactly how you do it but uh, I don't think it was. Okay, one award to give out, Matt, and that is... Comment of the week. Now, Chester, stand by. We're going to lean on you to, to okay. pick a winner, since this is your, your, your full show debut. So, Matt, give us the candidates for comment of the week. Um, all right, we're going to start with our friend Weedsy Van Bruggen, um, talking about the Giovanazzi issue that was so cold i had to turn the heat up in my house it was super cold and well i I feel obviously it's not our fault or it's not chester's fault directly but chester you basically told an f1 driver that he didn't have his seat which was not very nice of you yeah yeah i'm sorry about that (laughs) you've got to live with that matt next candidate uh our friend patty i think alonzo has gotten fully into his kimmy era stride maybe i win maybe not I don't think so. No, because with Kimmy, it's genuine. He doesn't care. <laughs> Alonso cares a lot. Uh, fair enough. Uh, Stuart Neal uh, replying to Patty getting blamed for Williams' downfall. Ouch. A real low blow. Okay, I actually gave him a yellow card for that in the chat because these puns have got to stop. Um, and EJ had multiple entries, including the three alphas, which was my top choice, but you spoiled it by reading it on the show. So instead, I'm going to go with <laughs> Makes sense. It's an F1 podcast, so why would you talk about Haas? Hush. Any more? Um, yeah, I think uh, one or two more if we have time. Oh, Harm Onsink has to be in for Missed Apex podcast accuses Alfa Romeo of <laughs> oil burning. <laughs> yeah, oil burning, oil leaking, oil spewing, all uh, the fun uh, of having an Alfa. And, and our old friend Chris Fonseca, uh, I think, quipped, uh, the Haas is optimized to cool its engine super efficiently. When spun, <laughs> talking about their ability to not blow up their power unit. Oh my God, yes. Is it, it's the only team since Vettel's 2017 Ferrari where you had to consider the aerodynamics while going sideways. Chester, who's our winner of Comment of the Week? Yeah, maybe pick the um, Makes Sense. Why would you talk about Haas on an F1 podcast? <laughs> who, is, who is that, Matt? Congratulations to EJ. Oh, okay. He's Good racking up a Comment of the Week. Comment of the Week. All right, guys. Well, my plan is to catch up with Joe Sayward in the shed 
on Sunday. Uh, no, today's Sunday. My plan is to catch up with Joe Saywood on Tuesday afternoon. So come and join us for that. Please do follow all of the panel. Go and uh, click on all the links in the show notes below. All of those things are fantastic. And you should definitely click on all of them, especially the one to follow me at Spanners Ready, because I'm the best one. Uh, wherever we see you next, why not work hard? Why not be kind? And why not have fun? This was Missed Apex Podcast, an international quad continental podcast. Quad continental is a word that I just coined. I it like is it. now. It's a good one. Look it's been it used. It's been used in media. It's no, it hasn't. No, I made it up. How dare you? You with your journalist. Honestly, it ruins it having proper journalists on uh, on the show sometimes. You and Jules are always in there with, oh, that's not real spanners. Oh, you can't just make things up, spanners. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.